Well, you made it. Welcome to Christmas 2017. Maybe the better acknowledgement will be when we get through Christmas 2017. We'll feel more congratulatory about each other, maybe. But one of the things that I love about the Christmas season is the great music that we have. What's on your Christmas playlist? What are those favorite songs that you have? We have secular favorites that celebrate talking animals like Rudolph and animated snowmen like Frosty. We have all kinds of different Christmas songs. Teresa and I were coming back from Odessa yesterday after spending about a week over the last two days with her family. Um, Well, it was a good thing. It was a good thing. We thoroughly enjoyed our time. And on the way home for just a little bit, I flipped it over to one of those Christmas channels that Satellite Radio makes available. What's on your Christmas playlist? Maybe it's some of the great hymns of the faith. You know, we have some deep theology in our Christmas hymns of the faith. For instance, um, you may like Away in a Manger. You may have heard that recently, like in the last few minutes. Maybe yours is this one. What child is this whose lyrics include this statement? Soaring theology that we have in this. This this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Yet a lofty claim for a little boy, a little baby, and an insignificant part of the world during the first century. Either it's ludicrous or it's true. I would say it's true. But to say that it's true puts some demands on us, as we will see as we work our, through, our way through this. There, there is a new, actually I call it an old new Christmas song that makes the playlist of many people. As a matter of fact, after the first service today, somebody stopped me and she said this. I just knew that you were going to quote part of that particular song. The name of the song is Mary, Did You Know? I want you to listen to some of the lyrics of that song speaking of deep theology. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Another line from that, Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Speaking of lofty claims, those are are deep statements. Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Dr. Luke understands something, I think. Maybe the writer of that particular new, old uh, Christmas hymn understood a little bit what Dr. Luke was talking about in the book of Luke chapter 2 as part of that Christmas story. Luke writes these words. Uh, you, go, by the way, to the book of Colossians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. But over in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, I think that maybe the writer of that Mary Did You Know song might have understood something of what was going on when Luke wrote in chapter 2, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. I suppose she did ponder those things in her heart. After all, she had been greeted by an angel. She had been given a birth announcement by none other than the messengers of God. Not only had she been given that kind of an acknowledgement and an invitation to the first divine birth, the only divine birth 
Mary also sat at that manger side as shepherds came from the fields announcing their own angelic messenger visits. And Mary pondered these things in her heart. I suppose she must have. Mary, did you know? And it's almost as if we hear Mary saying, you know, I've been thinking about that. Kissing the face of God when I kiss my little baby. That's an interesting thing. That's big stuff. So maybe we should treat it as such. Over the next several weeks, I would like for us to engage in some baby talk. Now, I'm not talking about the ridiculous kind. You know what I'm talking about? When some, what is it about a little baby that's born? And so when we talk to that little baby, we make no sense. And we go into this high register. And we gibberish. It's like we become the babies. That's not the kind of baby talk I want us to do over the next several weeks. I want us to talk about this baby This one that Mary looks at, the one that the songwriters have talked about away in a manger, or Mary, did you know, or what child is this, or any other number of hundreds of great, deep truth kind of Christmas songs that make our playlist. What is it about this baby? It was about six, seven years ago now that little Evie Bullock Four years old, maybe five years old, something like that. I don't really know exactly, but Evie was given the soloist, the lead soloist role in the children's choir Christmas presentation of a simple little song that children sing at this time of the year, Happy Birthday, Jesus. You know that song? It's really simple. There's not a whole lot to it. Happy Birthday, Jesus. We're so glad, you know, and it goes on and on. Well, little Evie Bullock not yet in elementary school, was given the lead role. And they gave her, the directors of her choir, gave her a prop. And her responsibility was when she got to the part, which was her solo part, and she started to belt out, Happy Birthday, Jesus, she was supposed to hold up this doll that represented Jesus as a way of worship, as a hold it up of, this is who we're singing about today. But instead of doing that, little Evie couldn't help herself. She grabbed that doll by the leg and flung it up above her head. (laughs) Happy Birthday, Jesus! (laughs) That might well serve as a warning to us of the need for us to handle Jesus well as a baby. The reality is that if we hold him and handle him irresponsibly, that we send a bad message to people. If we do not recognize who it is that we deal with with this baby in a manger, we may well undercut his very nature, or at least the way people understand it. So we're going to be engaging in some baby talk over the next few weeks in this Christmas series. And what we're going to do in order to do that is we're going to go not to Luke's gospel, although we'll be there on Christmas Eve day, but I want us to spend a little time over in the book of Colossians because it's in the book of Colossians that we find Paul as he lays out for us what turns out to be some very mature theology. Paul, as he writes to the Colossian Christians, I don't believe has in mind that little baby in the manger. He has in mind that Jesus who grew from that manger into a man who lived a perfect, sinless life because he was the Son of God. 
And he was crucified for the sins of the world, and then he was resurrected from the dead, and then he ascended to the right hand of God. Paul writes about that Jesus in Colossians chapter 1 when he says this in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And we could continue reading, but I want to stop there because as I begin talking about Christmas music, it's important that we recognize that Paul here is referring to an early Christian hymn. It is great doctrine, what he says here. It teaches us something about Jesus the Christ. Paul writes, as I said, about the completed work of Christ as he is in heaven at the right hand of God awaiting his return where he will take all of his people back with himself. But in the meantime, we have to acknowledge this during this Christmas season. If Jesus was ever God, then he was always God. It's not like Jesus somewhere, somehow, all of a sudden became the Son of God He always was. Scripture is clear about that. And so when we come to this Christmas season and we have baby talk amongst ourselves, we need to make sure that we recognize that the same Jesus that Paul writes about in Colossians chapter 1 is the one that Mary's lips kissed as a baby in a manger. This is big stuff. This is deep theology for us. And we don't want to be like that little girl who just flings Jesus about as a baby in a manger. Here's here's why I think this is so important. Because the reality for many Christian people is that we pull Jesus out of the closet at Christmas time and we throw up our nativity scenes on our yards or in our homes or under the tree. But the problem may well be that when we put up our Christmas decorations, Jesus goes with them only to be pulled out again at Easter when he makes the front page again. If he was ever the Son of God, and he always has been, that means that he always has been the Son of God. And so we come to examine what Paul says in Colossians. And today, we just kick off this series by looking at the brackets. Paul brackets what we've read today in verse 15, the first part of verse 15, and verse 19. And in doing so, he helps us, uses a rhetorical device that helps us to see that everything in between verse 15 and 19 is an elaboration of verse 15 and 19. So we're going to look at Jesus, at who he is, and what happens and what is represented for us in that manger. And in doing so, today we look at verse 15 and verse 19. But I want to start with my grandbaby. Because I'm having another grandbaby. Well, I'm not having a grandbaby. I'm having uh, the opportunity to enjoy my daughter-in-law and my son as they enjoy the birth of their first child, a son. His name will be Hugh Daniel. He's to be born on or about December the 14th. We're counting on my daughter-in-law keeping the schedule because Teresa already has an airline ticket, and it can't happen later than that. (laughs) 
We hope he'll cooperate, but if he's like his daddy, he will not cooperate at all. So let me throw you into that mix. It's interesting watching people, especially grandparents, often with parents. It's interesting watching people when there's a new baby around. Teresa's going to get on a plane on December the 13th, and she's going to fly down to deep south Texas, and hopefully she'll be there when that child is born. If not, then at least close to that. And I know my wife well enough to know that what she will do is when that baby makes the slightest whimper, Teresa will reach down into the crib and pick that kid up and hold him in her arms, and she'll have this look on her face. It's the look that many of us get when we hold newborn children. It's the look that communicates this questioning that happens as we look into the face of a newborn child with all of the potential of a life yet to be lived. None of the tools yet to become a functioning member of society, but we hope that they will be. Those tools aren't there, but the pieces are there. And Teresa and the rest of us would look into the face of those young babies. Maybe even Mary did that with Jesus in that manger. And we start asking the what will questions. What will this boy do with his life? What will the contributions he makes to this world be? You know, I've never heard parents with those kind of thoughts. I've never heard one parent ask this question. Will this child of mine be a notorious criminal? Will this child of mine be a serial killer? I know that sounds totally wrong even to verbalize that, but it underscores the reality when hope springs eternal. We, we want the best for them. We expect the best for them. We want everything to turn out so that at the end of the day, at the end of that life, people, maybe even historians would write, here was a life well lived. What do you think Mary thought about when she looked down into the face of Jesus? And Mary pondered these things in her heart, Luke 2.19 says. I'm, I'm sure she did. I wonder if Mary asked the what will questions. Mary had a little more to work with than some of us do with our little children because Mary had already been given a message from an angel, none other than the messenger from God himself who says, Mary, you are with child. Congratulations. What? Congratulations? Are you kidding? And then he began to unfold the story for her. Mary sitting at that manger side in little insignificant Bethlehem looks into the face of none other, as Paul says, none other than the image of the invisible God. That's an amazing statement. Who is this baby? Paul answers that question. And with that answer that we see there in verse 15, and then again we'll see it in verse 19, Paul gets us to what I think are two big truths for us to take Uh, away from here today. So let me see if I can walk through those fairly quickly for us. The first one we find in the first part of verse 15, this Jesus, this baby in a manger is the image 
of the invisible God. The word image is an, importing, uh, uh, an interesting and important word for us. It's pulled over out of the Greco-Roman world uh, where images of Caesar and other notable officials were imprinted on money and even on buildings and statues were made. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. But the word actually in Greek is one that we have just pulled over into English and it's a big part of everyday life for us. The word in Greek that's pulled into English is the word icon. And so when you, let's just put it into your computer life, okay? Whether you have a smartphone or a not-so-smartphone, uh, it may well be that on your computers at home you're running Windows or maybe it's, you're a Mac person. No matter what it is, whether you're a Galaxy or an iPhone user, the reality is that our world has gone wholesale into the use of icons, I remember when Microsoft first came out with Windows, and, and it started this trend for us. And so if you want, in your computer use, if you want to get into a program, let's say Microsoft Word, the word processing using, uh, program that I use almost every day of my life. If I want to get into this computer program, I go with the mouse and the pointer that's on there, and I find that icon on the screen. I double-click it, and it takes me into the bowels of that computer. You can't see Microsoft at work. You just know that it's working, and the way you get into that is through that icon. That's the word that's used here. And so one of the two big truths that I want us to get here is that when we come to Jesus and we come to that baby in the manger, what we find there is that Jesus is the doorway into the spectacular. Let me go back to that illustration I'm talking about with Microsoft Word. If, if you need to do some kind of, let's say you're in college, or maybe you're trying to do something, some kind of report or something like that for your business, and you need to be able to do some things with certain kind of formatting, and, and you need to make it look nice. Microsoft Word has all of the capabilities of doing that for you. You just have to know what to do to get there. But it all starts with double-clicking an icon. It looks like a picture, but it's a doorway into spectacular word processing. That's the word. That's the picture that we have of Jesus at this point. Paul uses that word in verse 15, that Jesus, this baby, is the icon, the image of the invisible God. Through him, and I would add, only through him, we have access to spectacular life. Jesus himself will say of himself later in the Gospels, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He will refer to himself as the door. He will refer to himself as the gate. Jesus is the way into life. He is, using Paul's language, he is the icon, the image of the invisible God. And when we come to him, what we get from him and with him in a relationship with him is incredible resource for living. In a computer program, it just looks like a picture on a screen. But going to that and going through that opens up an incredible world for you. That's what Jesus does for our lives. In case that doesn't totally... Uh, fit for you yet and you hadn't quite put the pieces together, let me walk you backwards. Because this Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, means that what we find in him, even in that 
raw form, we would say, of a baby in a manger, we have all of the resource that God brings to life. Let me go back with you, or do you go back with me, to the book of Exodus, where Moses is leading God's people, and they're stuck in slavery in Egypt. And they want out, but they can't get out because Pharaoh is running the show. Moses walks into the throne room of Egypt and he says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, so? And God says, I'll show you so. And we know the story how these various plagues, miracles that God does, incredible power, incredible resource that's brought to bear on behalf of his people. Finally, to the point that Pharaoh says, just get out, just take your people and get out of here, leave me alone. The resource that God put to bear on Egypt for his children's sake is incredible. This Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All of those pieces of the Exodus fall into place with him. We also know that those children of Israel got out of Egypt, but in the process of getting out, they had to go across the Red Sea. Not an easy task. So God says, I got you covered. Parts the sea. Israel walks across, and at just the right moment, the most strategic moment of the whole ordeal, God says, okay, water's come back over, and it washes over the Egyptian chariots, and the children of Israel are free from bondage. God brings incredible resource to bear on behalf of his people. Jesus is the image of that same God, the icon. And that resource that God was for the children of Israel comes to bear on Jesus and through Jesus. And so let me push forward, and we could talk about what God did miraculously for the children of Israel during that wilderness wandering period of 40 years. But let's jump forward because this same baby who is in that manger grows to be a man, and he walks to the side of a boat in the middle of a storm on a stormy sea. And he essentially says to the storms, hush, cut it out. And just like that, there's peace. He is the image of the invisible God. And Mary ponders these things in her heart as she looks down into the face of that baby and almost certainly like we would ask, what will happen with him? In her wildest dreams, she couldn't have imagined him calming the storm on the sea with his simple words. And this Jesus, the image of the invisible God, brings resource to his people. And so we find him on a mountainside with thousands of people there without food to eat. And he multiplies a simple little lunch and everybody eats to their satisfaction. The image of the invisible God, Paul says, who brings resource to his people, the icon through which we are granted the resource of God. It's, it's an extraordinary thing to think about. If you're here today and your life's a wreck and you're going through storms, and you need a little bit of God's resource, Jesus is the icon. Jesus is the source. He is the image of the invisible God, and he brings incredible, spectacular, extraordinary resource to bear for his children's sake. That baby in that manger is more than just a kid. 
He is the image of the invisible God. And he brings resource to your life. Let me just tell you, if you don't know him, and if you don't have a personal relationship with him, he's still capable of bringing that. But the step that you have to take in order to access that kind of resource in your life is you have to accept him. You have to have a relationship with him. And that little baby doesn't stay a little baby. As hard as we might try to keep him a baby in a manger through the course of the year, uh, he grows up to be a man, and he grows up to be God in the flesh. That's the next part of what we look at here. And in the process of doing that, he says to us, I bring resource to you, but you have to have a relationship with me. The second big truth here, this image of God, is that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. You see, Paul's writing this into what seemed to be an atmosphere, an environment, if you will, in the early church. They were beginning to entertain some of these ideas about Jesus that were not really accurate. Uh, It would later bloom and blossom into a full-blown heresy that made Jesus less than God. And so Paul writes into this, and he makes sure that we understand this bracket from verse 15 to verse 19 pulls together everything in between it where Paul essentially is saying to this, this Jesus is not like God. He is, in fact, God. Wow, think think about that. You look into the face of this baby in a manger, and he is, as Paul says in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is mind-blowing stuff for us. Let me put it to you this way. To fully understand what Paul is saying with verse 19, let me just see. It's a crude example, but it's the best I can come up with. If you came into the worship service today from Sunday school, there's a good chance that in Sunday school either you had or were at least offered a cup of coffee in one of those nice little designer cups that we use. White styrofoam, eight ounces, nothing but the best for us. The world uses those. It's okay. Eight ounces. Here's if you want to get the full flavor of verse 19. In Jesus, in this little baby in a manger, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This way. Take that eight-ounce cup and put all of the water in the Pacific Ocean into that cup. And don't spill any. That's the word of verse 19. Paul gives us a statement that causes all of us to just walk away going, I don't even understand that. I can't wrap my mind around that. All of the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in him. This is serious baby talk, as it turns out. If you really want to know what that looks like, you could go to Exodus 34. I don't have time to read it today, so I'll just push you there. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, God gives Moses what I call a verbal selfie. Moses wants to see God. And so God essentially says, Moses, you can't see me and live. That's just not going to happen. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to step into your request and do this. You, you go over here, and as I pass by, I'll put my hand over you. You be in the cleft of the rock. Uh, and as I pass by, I'll pull out and so that you can just get a glimpse. You go read that Exodus 34 passage that I'm talking about, and you will find that God gives Moses a verbal selfie. 
This is who I am. Abounding in loving kindness. Justice. Mercy. That's the picture of God that God gives to Moses. And so in that little baby in a manger, if we take what Paul said seriously, he is the image of the invisible God, the icon of the invisible God. He's also in this little baby. All of the fullness of God dwells in him. All of his love, all of his mercy, all of his power, all of his resource, all of his justice, all of those things that make life worth living for us wrapped up in that baby. That's quite a baby, as it turns out. And if all of that is true, and it is, Paul leaves us with a dilemma, a crisis, in fact. See, here's the deal. As much as we may want to leave Jesus a baby in a manger, you know, babies in mangers are a lot easier to control than full-blown adults who have decisions and make them. Sometimes it's easier for us to let Jesus just be that little baby in a manger and we'll throw parties for him and we'll even give him gifts, uh, but we still want to keep him as a baby. The problem is that he's more than just a baby. He's the image of the invisible God. All of the fullness of who God is is wrapped up in him. And when we come to recognize that, it forces us into a decision. What do I do with this baby? You know, I've, as a pastor, one of my great privileges is to go visit with families in the hospital when they have new babies born. <laughs> Adults lose their heads in times like that. It's a great thing. But you know, one of the things about that, I, I don't know if I've done, I know I've done that dozens of times, I'm sure hundreds of times through the years. I've gone to the hospitals or homes and, and people have new babies and we celebrate and laugh and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know what? Not a single time, even my own kids, not a single time have I made a visit like that where I came away from that thinking, okay, I have to change some things about my life because of that. Your kids being born doesn't have that effect on me. I love you and all of that stuff, and I'm happy for you, but I'm going to change my life because of your kid. But you see, this baby in a manger demands something of us. If he is, in fact, God in the flesh, and he is, then that means we have a choice to make about what we do with him. So what do you do with him? Maybe you came in here today, not even sure why you came in here today. But what's happened since you've been here is God, whether through the music or through some of the words that have been spoken by others through prayers, maybe just sitting there, the Holy Spirit has been knocking on your door going, hey, what about my son? What are you going to do with my son? Let me just encourage you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if all you know is about him, but you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with him, let me just encourage you to take the step today to say, you know what? I need to explore that. If, if this is true, what Paul writes and what this preacher is saying, if that stuff's true, then he brings something to my life. I'm missing something in my life. I need to explore that. Why wouldn't you start that exploration process today? If somebody says to you, here's hope for you, wouldn't you take it? 
Many of us in here have taken that long since. We've made the decision to follow Christ, and we know Jesus Christ, and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it may well be that that Jesus that we like to celebrate is still kind of a baby in our lives, and we've not allowed him to be who he really is, the image of the invisible God, the fullness of God dwelling in him. Maybe it's time for a bit of surrender to that baby who actually is God in the flesh. Let's pray. And as we pray, the invitation to you today is that you step out and you do something with the truth of what you've heard today. Father, we ask you to take this time and change lives of your people. We pray that you would move in a way that would cause us to walk out of here today calling on you in a fresh way as the very Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand, you come as we sing.